From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to season two, episode four of What's Wrong With Revenue. Today we're gonna focus on a deep dive into the strategy component of a revenue generation system. Eric, thanks for joining me. Great to have you back. I'm recovered from my visit to Square Two South last weekend. You were still on host and uh, got a really nice setup down there in Florida. So thanks for having me. You got it, hashtag wear sunscreen. That's right. So today, um, just to remind everybody, you can catch the show on YouTube. Square Two has a channel, Square Two Marketing has a YouTube channel. All of the What's Wrong With Revenue shows are posted to our YouTube channel every Thursday morning. Uh, you can like us, you can subscribe to the show there, you can leave us comments. We really appreciate all that feedback on YouTube. The show is also available in its video format on Square2 Plus, our free streaming service located at square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. That service has all of our audio and video content on it. We have channels for CEOs, CROs, CMOs. We have a HubSpot channel. We have a channel for all of our different podcasts, like the one we used to do, Smash the Funnel, and obviously What's Wrong With Revenue. You can check out all of those there. If you really are into what's wrong with revenue, we have a dedicated page for it. You can get to it from our website at the bottom. In the footer, there's a page, what's wrong with revenue. Click on it. You can subscribe to the show. You can submit questions and you'll actually get uh, emails with uh, uh, coming show notes. So you'll know what we're going to talk about before we even talk about it. And uh, like I said, we have a couple of questions today from previous shows that we'll handle. If you have a question for Eric or me related to any of the shows, just submit it there and we'll uh, handle it on the show. So today, uh, I'm sorry, also podcast platforms. If you're into audio content, the show is translated into its podcast version on all your favorite podcast platforms. Go check it out there. New shows are dropped every Thursday morning as well on all your favorite podcast platforms. So, all right, let's get into it. We're going to talk about strategy today as part of a revenue generation system. And it's still shocking to me how many companies do not have the proper strategy before they start executing marketing campaigns. And if you think about it, you would never build a house without blueprints. You would never try to uh, beat cancer without any kind of treatment plan that your doctor created for you. You would never go to war without a strategy, but day in and day out, people are trying to generate revenue without any real plan or strategy. And in this episode, we're gonna unlock the secrets to creating a revenue generation strategy. These secrets that have been proven to be successful year in and year out over the past 20 years that Eric and I have been creating these kinds of strategies for clients. Personas, big story, differentiation, buyer journey, budgets, KPIs, resource planning, they all go into creating an appropriate strategy that actually produces results. And we will talk about all of these things in the show today. It's another can't miss episode of the year. We're going to 
dig into your personas and how likely are your personas actually complete? And, and if not, how do you fix them? How do you actually come up with a big story? It actually might be easier than you think. Why is differentiation so important? Why do people skip over it so frequently? What does it actually mean to be remarkable? We're going to talk about the prospect buyer journey and why it's now a must have and not a nice to have anymore. And then last but not least, it's critical that you create uh, a budget and uh, key performance indicators or metrics that are 100% aligned with your strategy. So we're going to go into all that today. It's a big show. We've got a lot to talk about. And then, like I said, we have some really interesting questions, honestly, and interestingly, from the West Coast. Three questions from the West Coast. We'll spend a West Coast section on questions at the end of the show today. And then we'll have everybody uh, back to their regularly scheduled program. So Eric, a lot to talk about. How do you want to uh, kick us off today? Well, I want to kick it off with a story that happened to be this week that made me think about this episode. So we have a relatively new client called First Two Months In, and the owner, uh, the entrepreneur, uh, had some um, encouragement for the Square Two team to get some stuff done quickly, even though we're not done the strategy yet. So one of the things that she had requested was we need some email nurtures around events that we go to, right? So they go to conferences and they never like did any pre-show promotion or in-show buzz or post-show communication. So she said, can we get this done before the strategy? So I said, no problem. Who should we target? What should we say to them? And then there was crickets because the answers to those questions lie in the strategy. If you're going to write an effective nurture campaign, you want to kind of poke at their emotions so that you can engage with them and activate them into your sales process. But if you don't understand their pains and problems and some of the issues they're having, you can't write anything that it makes sense to them. Now, could we write, we are the best company, we have the best people, we win a lot of awards? Of course, but I'm not sure that's going to move the needle for any kind of you know uh, trade show uh, promotion. And it's really a good example. Now, in RGS, the revenue generation system that we're talking about this season, last week we talked about process, setting up weekly revenue team meetings and 30-day sprint planning meetings and quarterly alignment with the strategic goals. So that's a lot of like the process that goes well, parallel to setting up the process, you start to work on the strategy so that you can start to get things done in your weekly revenue team meeting, but also you're talking about the strategy and it's a very delicate line to balance because you have to get both done. You have to get strategy and tactics. And, you know, this takes some time because the business that I'm referring to has maybe been in business 13, 14 years and they never had a strategy. So you got to take some time. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the difference of strategic planning versus strategy and planning, Mike. So let's slide that in whenever you're ready. You're on mute. Yeah. Why don't we do that now? Because okay, it's great. a little bit of a nice precursor into the other stuff we're going to talk about. It really is. You know, when you go to most entrepreneurial and mid-market companies and you say, do you do strategic planning? They say, yes, of course we do. What happens is strategic planning is often um, uh, quantified as tactical planning. Now, we could talk about it, uh, let's say, the form of a whole company. So strategic planning might be we want to build a new factory. We want to hire some more people. We want to start some marketing campaigns, right? We set all the goals that we have, and then we call it a plan. The problem is that's not a great strategy. And you have to separate strategy from planning. And what strategy means is what can our team do to plot out 
a course of activities that is going to beat the competition. That's what strategy is. Now, it feels safe to make a big list of build a new factory, hire some more people, start some marketing campaigns, because we can allocate budget, we can do that internally, and we are in control of that. But when we go to market with a new strategy that we assume is going to beat the competition, there's a lot of open-endedness to that. Is it going to be received by the marketplace? Will people actually pay for this stuff? It's a little scarier when you're setting a strategy. And the typical story around this or the typical example around this is Southwest Airlines, right? They came onto the scene where there was plenty of traditional airlines, and they said, you know what, we have some theories that if we create a new airline that's going to be different than the other folks, that will lend success. So instead of, let's say, flying hub and spoke at Southwest, we're just going to go direct. And instead of offering meals, we don't need that because we're going to do short flights. And rather than have lots of different kinds of airplanes, our strategy is going to be one plane, the 737, so that everybody gets the same training and every single gate is set up for the same exact airplane. And their strategy or their assumption on their strategic uh, initiatives on how they're going to beat the competition work like a charm. People uh, started booking online, not through travel agents, which drove the price down and gave them a competitive advantage. Because there was no meals and the planes were set up, they had a very low uh, operating cost compared to the competition. And rather than just compete against American, Delta, and so forth, they said, you know who we're competing against? Greyhound. They wanted to be the alternative for a bus ride. And all of these things went into their strategy about how, one, they could differentiate themselves from the competition, but also how can they beat the competition when it comes to the playing field. So if we set, separate strategy from planning, now it becomes a little bit more clear about what our goal is, especially what we want to talk about on today's episode. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to kick off the show. And, and you know, we have, we have obviously been talking about this difference for a while, but I like how strategy is often described as um, uh, a theory or a test. You know, we think this is going to happen, right? Southwest didn't really know they were going to be able to uh, position their airline against a, a bunch of short haul buses, but it turned out it worked, right? You know, our strategy this year is to roll out the revenue generation system, you know, as a way to differentiate the agency and appeal to our target market and uh, give them something that no one else is giving them, right? We we think it's going to work, but we don't really know until we actually get it out there and see who's, you know, excited about it, who buys it, what feedback we get from it. And then the planning piece comes with how do you go about executing on our strategy? So I do think that's an interesting way to think about it and a good uh, um, backdrop for some of the things we're going to talk about today. So when it comes to strategy, uh, especially from a marketing and sales perspective, I think a lot of people, let's just do some low-hanging fruit, right? When it comes to personas, hardly anybody we talk to is unfamiliar with the concept of personas. And in fact, most people say, yes, we, we actually have some persona work done. Some people actually say they have, they think their personas are complete. I think we've found that they're often incomplete, but most people seem to know what personas are. We're trying to attract these people to our company you like to say who who are your best customers let's build a persona around who who are your best customers best could mean most profitable best could mean most referenceable best could be spend the most money like it, it's relative what best means but i don't think that really matters and 
let's start profiling those people in terms of how would we find more of them. So, you know, most people are comfortable with the persona conversation around demographic information. These are the companies that they work at. These are the titles that they typically have. Uh, you know, these this is typically where they've come from, you know, maybe how educated they are or, you know, what other jobs they had before this, what geographies they might be in, uh, what their challenges are. I think generally people are pretty good at kind of understanding those components of a, of a persona. Um, and those those personas have to be fairly well thought out. Where I think people tend to maybe get stuck is, do we understand what those people's online behavior looks like? Do we understand what content those people are consuming? Do we understand what uh, questions those people are asking? And this is where the buyer journey will come in again later on in this conversation. Those are typically areas where we see the personas are a little incomplete or maybe you know not as much thought has been put into those parts of the personas. But they're equally as important as all the other uh, conversation, all the other uh, points that I mentioned a second ago, like you know, demographic information. These personas are really going to set the table for uh, how the rest of the marketing and sales execution gets built. So, again, to our conversation about strategy, you have to know who you want to attract to your business. You have to know what verticals you want to get into. You have to know what products or services you want to sell to what people. And those should be very strategically matched to the issues that they're having in their jobs every single day. And if you've done that, you're going to have a pretty solid set of pretty solid set of personas. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, they'll they'll outline we're looking for vice presidents of marketing at you know Fortune 500 companies. What they don't really take the time and energy to go deep on is the what why are they having problems and why would they be seeking a partner or a vendor like us that is the crux of the matter because if we can understand the pains and problems of the prospective clients we can then create solutions and message to that and while it's important to have lots of awards and the best people in the biggest factory and all that, what people really care about is themselves. How do I solve my problem? How do I move my set of issues forward? That's where a lot of people that say they have personas are missing that component. Because if we identify the pains and problems and we can demonstrate through our marketing that we can solve those pains and problems, that's when we make the emotional connection. Yeah. And I think the other thing people miss a lot is, look, we deal mostly with B2B companies with long sales cycle and complex sales, which means they're also going to have a generally like a group of people making a purchase decision. So when it comes to personas, you can't just say, well, we sell to the COO or the director of operations. And that's who we want to talk to because the CFO is also going to be involved and the CEO is going to be involved. And maybe the uh, procurement people are going to be involved. And you really have to create personas for all the people that are going to be involved in this purchase decision and make sure you're messaging to all of them. Make sure you're targeting campaign and educational content to all of them. Make sure there's messages created for all of those people because you want all of them when they get together to say, yes, I want to hire Square Two. If one of them is saying, yes, Square Two is for me, and the other's like, who's Square Two? You're going to have a much tougher sales cycle. You're going to have a much smaller, uh, uh, lower close rate. You're going to have a much uh, more complicated set of sales motions, you're going to need to start convincing all of those people that you are the right people to do business with, as opposed to if you've identified them as important people from the beginning and created the, the content stories and, and, and assets to get all of those people to be excited about doing business with you. So 
persona exercise in our experience often is maybe not as quite uh, complete as it needs to be to do good strategy work. Once that's done, then you have a couple other challenges facing your company from a strategy perspective. And the first one is your, your big story, your company's big story. You know, it might seem a little trite for like the marketing people to say, like, if you don't have anything interesting to say, don't say anything at all. But it's really true. There are so many companies who have kind of skipped over this step, either because they didn't realize it was important or they actually didn't think it was important. But if you don't have a, a emotional, compelling and engaging story to tell your personas, there's really no reason for them to listen to you. And simply telling them that you have a product or service or you've been around for a certain amount of years, you know, it's not going to be enough to get their attention. And we see this over and over and over again. And I get it. It's difficult sometimes for companies to create their own big story because they're, they're, they're in it. They see their world from their inside reality, not from the outside perspective that is even more important. So it's, sometimes it's hard to come up with this big story, but you desperately need this big story as part of your strategy. And it's going to impact so many other things down the line that without it, it, it probably wouldn't be surprising to tell you that your campaigns are not going to perform, your website's not going to perform, your salespeople are not going to, really nothing's going to work as well as it could if you had this big emotional, engaging and compelling story that is part of your overall company. So uh, again, commonly skipped over, maybe even you know diminished a bit, like, oh, everyone knows who we are, everyone knows what we do, like not good enough in today's world, uh, you really need to spend some time uh, either on your own or engaging with, with, with people who can help you create this big story and help you really tell it to the world. Yeah, I got a, a relevant uh, story about that. So a uh, big, big electrical contractor in Texas, and they worked with universities that have in-house power plants and corporate campuses that power all of the um, uh, uh, buildings inside this corporate campus. And they talked about that they are the best people and they've been around for 50 years and so forth. Once again, looking at their personas, the facility managers of these big office complex or university campuses, what they were really worried about was that their power would go down because you can't have a university without any electricity and you can't have a corporate campus without any electricity. From that, understanding that deep pain that these facility managers have, we came up with the big story of when downtime is not an option. And what we took that big story, we made sure that every decision, everything we did was all about how do we keep everybody up and running 100% of the time. They had a maintenance program, obviously. They had a preemptive strike program where they come in and stress test your inside power plant to make sure it didn't go down. They had a constant upgrade where like, oh, you have an old flux capacitator, we need to swap that out. So they had all of these things that all went to the thing of when downtime is not an option. And all of a sudden their marketing exploded because it resonated with the target market where before their salespeople were like, hey, can I come in and sell you a maintenance contract? Now their salespeople are saying, hey, can I come in and show you how you can never have any downtime again? That resonated with those folks. So not that they were doing anything from an execution wise, sorry, a business operations wise that they were doing before, but when they put this new veneer of the big story on top of what they were talking about, all of a sudden people started to listen and engage with their sales folks. 
Yeah, that's such a good example too, because the idea of, of being down is a very emotional kind of guttural feeling that those the, 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 the personas they're going after would feel, right? If we're, if the power is off, that is a big problem that I have to deal with. And I don't want people coming to me asking me why was the power off, right? So, you know, that's directly related to their jobs and how they feel about their jobs from an emotional perspective. Um, that's exactly the kind of story you're looking for. Something that grabs your prospects, shakes them up a little bit, and brings them into your world so they can learn about, well, how do I prevent our, our uh, university from going down? What are some of the things I should be looking for? It could be signals that we might be going down and how do I get ahead of this so this doesn't happen, right? It's an excellent story um, that you told and also an excellent big story that they came up with. So that's really good work. And I also liked how you connected their overall big story to the things that differentiate their business. That's that's the next thing we're going to talk about is it's critical that what helps you stand out is related to that big story. How do you support that big story with the things you do every day that make your business stand out and make you remarkable? It's you know relatively challenging to craft that in a way that it's connected so seamlessly, like you you articulated. That's really good work there, but. Everything that, that you know, you didn't say like our equipment is better than everybody else's. Our people are better than everybody else's. It's more about how they uh, manage the services they provide to keep their prospects from going down, right? And, and how they do it in a way that nobody else is likely saying they do it. That's the definition of remarkable. If you can say something that no one else in your market says, you have a remarkable element to your business, right? We often tease our clients when they say, no, no, our people really are the best in the industry. And we're like, okay, yeah, that's, I'm sure that's true, but think about your prospects. Yeah, I mean, think about your competitors. Are they really going out in the market and saying like, yeah, our people, they're, they're kind of average. Like, yeah, they're, 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 they're just going to be average. Don't expect too much from them. Like, of course not. They're saying their people are great too. They're saying their equipment's it's top of the line. They're saying they've been around as long as everybody else has. You really have to find those areas where you can lean into what makes your business so special that no one else can say. It. And this is not about reality here. A lot of clients say to us, well, in reality, like, it doesn't matter what happens in the real world. Marketing is about perception. Marketing is about what people are saying. So even if your competitors are saying things that are not true, it doesn't matter. They're still saying them in the market. You have to push your, your business to, to be so much better uh, than even those things that they are saying, whether they're true or not. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, the differentiators, or as we like to call them, remarkables, are things they're doing already. They just don't realize that they are solving pains, and they're doing it in such a remarkable way because they can't see it. They're in the business uh, day after day. Had a great session with a company earlier this week, and they placed therapists at uh, assisted living facilities. So you want to move mom or dad into an assisted living facility, they might need some support, whether it's occupational therapy, you know, physical therapy, and so forth. So one of the biggest pains they identified from their uh, assisted living clients is that they feel that the therapists weren't trained. 
Well, that was a big pain. So we said, well, uh, you know, how do you train your people? Of course, everybody has a training program, but we developed after getting into the granular details of what they do, which was quite special, but they could not verbalize why they were better than anybody else. And what happened was they said, oh, well, we test people on four specific disciplines. And I wrote them down, uh, clinical, residential, uh, marketing, and operational. And they said, well, we wouldn't put anybody into the field unless they scored an 85 or better in all four of those areas, which makes sense, right? They really want their people to be trained. So we repackaged the system as the 85 plus training system by this company. That's an interesting name. It starts a conversation. It had some... Um, uh, uh, back up to it, how they how they do it. And then we added in another one, which wasn't part of their operational procedure today, but it was the 90-day circle back program, meaning that, yeah, your person is trained, but they have to continuously be educated. So every 90 days, they were given a little quick refresher quiz. And if they passed that, they kept going. If not, they went back to training. And that is such a rich story for all these assisted living people who are trying to find a therapy company that had quality therapists. So saying they're certified from our 85 plus training system is a different conversation than we train our people. Yeah. It's also a great lead into the next topic, which is the, the prospect buyer journey. You know, a lot of our clients ask us, well, how do you know what we, how do we know what we should talk about? Right. How do we know what areas of the business are interesting to our target personas or, you know, what content should we create and, and for who and where do we apply that? And the interesting part of this, and it gets back to strategy, is the prospect buyer journey almost always answers these questions because when you're, and again, you're going to be doing a buyer journey for every single persona, right? The, again, even if we're talking about the same company that buys the same product or service from you and you have multiple contacts at that company, the CEO is going to have a different buyer journey than the CFO and then the director of operations. So you have three buyer journeys, even though it's the same company. They're just looking for information differently. They have different challenges and they need to be talked to differently. This is going to get into a, I'm going to give you a little prequel here to a upcoming show about campaigns and how you need to design campaigns very personally to these specific people. But this is how you start getting prepared to do, to do that by understanding their buyer journey. If you understand their buyer journey, and this is not like the, the three-stage funnel buyer journey, but our eight-stage like cyclonic buyer journey, you'll start to look at how they feel at each of those eight stages. The way they feel in the beginning might be different than the way they feel at the end. Not might be, will be. The challenges they have at the beginning are going to be different than the challenges they have at the end. The stories they need at the beginning will be different than what they need at the end. The questions they ask will be different. Like as they go through their buyer journey, their whole uh, perspective on what you're offering them, their whole feeling about what they're about to do is going to change. And when you do understand that buyer journey, you can control that change. We call the cyclonic buyer journey very deliberately because there's so many things influencing them while they're trying to make that purchase decision. So much so that a lot of people at the end of the buyer journey do nothing because they've been so overwhelmed with information that the safest thing for them at that point is like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, I am really confused. I'm just going to keep things the way they are because honestly, that is the safest thing to do in most cases is to just keep doing what they've been doing. Uh, 
you have to really fight against that. And by understanding how they feel at each stage of the journey, you can provide them with the right content and tell them the right story and give them the right tool to move them along proactively to control the, the cyclone that they're in, repel some of the other things that they're getting peppered with while they're trying to figure this out and move them from you know, pre-awareness all the way to decision in a, in a much more efficient way. So this is a big part of the strategy conversation. It's a big part of the work that needs to get done in the strategy piece because it's going to make everything else so much easier. When you get to content, which is a tactic, marketing tactic, and we're going to talk about marketing tactics too. When you get to content and you're like, what do we, what do we produce? What videos do we do? What do we write? What website pages do we need? What webinars should we be thinking about? Those are going to be answered for you if you do your buyer journey mapping right, because all of those questions that your prospects have at all of those different eight stages of the buyer journey are all gonna be opportunities for you to create content that answers those questions. And then your question, then you'll just be left with, well, is this something we write? Or is this something we do a video on? Or is this something we do a podcast around? Like that's generally a fairly easy question. What format do you use when you actually know what content you wanna create? And sometimes the answer is all of the above, but at least you'll know what issues and challenges and questions your prospects have, and you'll be answering them proactively for them, which is really going to move the needle in terms of how they feel about doing business with you. Yeah, I mean, in, in back to our when downtime is not an option, if you understand that they're going to ask questions about how do I keep my power plant running, then you create a white paper that says, um, I'm just making this up, uh, nine ways your power plant is exposed to failure, dot, 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 and how to protect against them. That's a piece of content that your folks should be interested in because we've identified that their pain is, how do I keep my thing up and running? Yeah, and that's a really good point just to circle back to personas too. Like if you do your personas right, you'll know whether the person that Eric's describing is a reader or a watcher. Or do they want like extensive details like research or do they want high level, you know, like concept type of content, right? And by understanding how, how, what kind of content they like That'll help you answer the question, well, is that a white paper, which might be for engineers who like a lot of details and like a lot of research and like a lot of facts and figures, or is that a highly designed ebook for someone that maybe is more of a marketing oriented person that likes to look at pictures and see high level concepts, or is it a video, someone that's too busy to read, they're not into reading, they rather want to, they want to watch something, they want to get their content in small, three minute, 10 minute, 20 minute uh, bites. They want it delivered to them on their smartphone. They want to be able to look at it from any, you know, like all those questions will be answered for you when your personas are done and your prospect buyer journey is done, making this whole strategy conversation that much easier. Cool. I'm going to move on to the next topic, which is kind of KPIs and budgets. Anything else you want to add before we move on? I really want to emphasize that this step cannot be shortened, eliminated, skipped. It must, this is the, it's the crux of the entire uh, conversation is to have a great strategy. It's such a good point. I was actually on a call with a manufacturing company last week and I was describing what we typically see and we commonly refer to as random acts of marketing. And he was like, do you know what our marketing plan was? Like he already felt that what I was describing was what they were doing. And it was a complete, it was 100% a symptom of not having the kind of strategy uh, we are talking about here. Okay. So quickly to wrap up this last section in this show, uh, once the strategy is done, 
you have to really look at it objectively and come up with some uh, key performance indicators and an appropriate budget. And really what that means is how, how, how big do we want this effort to be? How, how much are we trying to move the needle from a revenue generation perspective? Are we trying to go from 10 million to 100 million? Are we trying to go from 10 million to 11 million? Are we trying to go from 10 million to 20 million? And over what time period? Those are very relevant questions to, to, to now decide whether you have the right budget and metrics to, to deliver on your expectations. If you're going from a 10 to 11, you know, maybe a modest budget is going to make sense. Maybe you only need to go from 10 leads a month to 15 leads a month, right? To get an extra 10% in revenue. But if you're going from 10 to 20, you know, you should expect to have to double your amount of leads, double your amount of visitors, double your amount of sales opportunities, you know, really look to leaning into your close rate, really looking to leaning, where am I getting revenue from our current clients? Like those are things that you're going to have to look at, pay for, and be prepared to support from a budget perspective. And if you're going from 10 to 100, well, obviously you get the idea. That's going to need an even fatter budget and even a longer time horizon because that's a much heavier lift to go from 10 million to 100 million um, that has to be supported. So as you're putting this strategy together, we're going to encourage you to spend some time really looking at the numbers and making sure those numbers are attainable and that everyone is on board with those numbers and then that you have the budget and investment in both dollars, but also time and resources on your side to deliver those numbers. You know, you can tell me you want to go from 10 to 20 million in revenue and that you have a thousand dollars budgeted for it. And that's fine. But I know Eric and I are both going to tell you that's probably not going to happen. You're just not putting enough energy behind it to double your revenue in a year with, with a modest budget like that. You, you might get lucky, but in our experiences, you're 99 out of 100, you're, you're going to fail in, in hitting that, that budget number. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of conversation about goal setting. People aren't really realistic. I had a client yesterday and I was saying, well, what would you like to do? We'd like to double our sales. All right. Well, you can't double your sales in 90 days. What would be realistic? What would absolutely make the quarter a success? No, it'd be great if we had 10 new clients. Well, how many new clients do you pick up a month now? Oh, one or two. So you're going to now uh, double that to three to four. Okay, well, that doesn't make sense. You know what the end result was? They were going to be happy if they pitched three new clients in a quarter because they had uh, work coming in from their existing clients. And we said, yeah, that is realistic. We're going to find and pitch three clients in 90 days. Now that's something we could dig our teeth into. If we over excel, uh, uh, overachieve, who cares, right? That's great. But at least we know if we had three, that would be a successful quarter. So sometimes realism in setting goals goes a long way. Yeah, and it's so true. For some reason, when it comes to business, we're not realistic, right? If I, if you've never played golf before, you're not thinking to yourself like, oh, I'm going to be on the pro tour next weekend. Like you would never have an unrealistic goal like that. Like your first goal would be like, well, I, you know, I, I want to, you know, not, I, I, I want to break 120, right? Like that's how you're going to start learning how to play golf. And then you're going to want to break 100. It might take you months to go from shooting 120 to shooting 100. And then if you want to get in the 80s, like you might have to work for years to get in the 80s. You know, it's not like you're stepping up and you're like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, shooting in the 70s next weekend. Like no one thinks like, like but for some reason, when it comes to sales and marketing, they do have these very lofty expectations about how they're going to move the needle in a relatively short amount of time. And you do have to apply a much uh, more honest filter on this. So with that, let's handle a couple of these questions that came in over the past week. 
they're kind of relevant to our past few shows. So uh, it'll be good, like a bit of a wrap up for some of the things we've been talking about. So uh, Eric, this is Anna from Los Angeles. I've been listening to the show for the past couple of episodes, really love the focus this season, but I want to know, I can apply a system at our company that is a little less rigid than the one you've been talking about. So what, what, what would your feedback be to uh, Anna? Go for it. <laughs> I mean, uh, the vast majority of companies have no process or system. So if you're going to invent a different system that's going to work for your company, we bless you. What it might be easier is to take the, the system that we've been outlining this season on what's wrong with revenue and then slightly alter it to match up with your company. It seems like a lot less work, but if you want to invent your own system based on some of the principles that we've been talking about on our show, that's fabulous. Now, I'm a big proponent, not so much of copying, but using existing frameworks and editing towards something that might be more uh, in line with what I'm trying to do. Uh, you know, inventing a new light bulb sounds great, but it, it took Edison 2,000 tries. So I'm trying not to go for the 2,000 tries. I'm trying to go for this works. Let's see if we can massage it to fit our thing better. So Anna in LA, fabulous effort. Uh, let us know if your system is uh, smarter or better than ours. We'll stop. We'll start adopting yours. Yeah, and I'm going <laughs> to, Eric's a little tongue-in-cheek with his feedback. I'm going to tell you a little more specifically, you'd be better off starting with the rigid system and then uh, looking at which pieces of that you like and don't like and maybe adjusting it. I think you'll be better off. You know, it's like back to the golf analogy, right? Like I'm the golf pro. I'm going to tell you how you're going to get better. You're going to sit there and say like, nah, Mike, I know better than you do. I'm going to try this, right? Like you're probably not going to have more success learning how to be a good golfer than, than I'm going to help you with because I'm already a good golfer and you're not. So you know, I think I get the rigidity thing. I'm I, I'm kind of from the same boat in terms of some of these systems are very rigid, but I think they're rigid for a reason. People people need rigid rigidity and they need guidelines. They need guardrails. They need to know what they can and can't do. And they need to be really good at practicing a system that has proven to produce results. Then I think you could potentially look at it and be like, you know what? This piece of it is better for our company in this way, but we've already seen good success from what we've been doing. Uh, I think you'd be better off than with that than trying to start from the beginning with something else. Yeah, I mean, I often think about like surgery, right? There's so many like medical shows on TV and there's a standard practice of care, right? First you make the incision, then you spread it, then you go in and you do this. Then you... But sometimes on those shows, I'm always fascinated with like, hey, I figured out a better way to do just this piece of the operation. You know, instead of tying the suture this way, I tie the suture that way. It lends for better healing. So, you know, there's a, a system in place for a reason, but that doesn't mean you can't edit it, but edit it a little bit, you know, uh, uh, don't, 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 don't mess up something that's not broken. Yeah. All right. Kirk from San Francisco, sticking with our West Coast theme here. Really love the show this season. Thank you. But I'd like to talk a little bit about whether we can self-implement your system or you think a coach is mandatory. So I know this is like a fairly common question, but how would you respond to Kirk from San Francisco? I think you have to do what's best for your company, Kirk, right? If you can self-implement, so what does that mean? That means that you have to have someone who is responsible and accountable for revenue generation. So if you have that internal person and they are going to conduct meetings and guide the team and make sure that everything is on track, self-implement. Now, the problem is when Tiger Woods fired his coach, 
he didn't win any tournaments because there's something about an objective person coming in and teaching you and facilitating the meetings and coaching you on what you can do and what are best practices and things like that. So lots of times my advice is get a coach, be a very good student, take copious notes, create playbooks from all the systems, and then try it on your own because you can save money, right? And you can uh, be a little bit more flexible if you do it on your own. But starting on your own is a little bit daunting unless you have someone who's experienced, aka seasoned, and then driving this whole uh, uh, activity. If you don't, I might have to bite the bullet and say invest in a coach. But let's say you picked up a retired chief marketing officer from a big company who wanted to have a little consulting gig on the side, and they're going to guide you week by week on what you should be doing to build your program. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that uh, to get that person's uh, uh, experience sharing into play. But if you have a bunch of people that are all first and second job out of college, and they're supposed to be designing a really creative strategic plan to drive your company from 10 million to 20 million, I'm not sure I would bet the ranch on that. So just a couple of different viewpoints. Um, you know, the RGS coach is reasonably priced. Other strategic coats, pretty much across the board, are reasonably priced. I would think that you can invest in one even for a short period of time to glean what they have to teach you. And I'll just add, I think this answer to this question is 100% dependent on your timeline. If you're trying to get this up and running quickly, a coach is going to help you get up and running more quickly. If you're trying to do it by yourself, it's just going to take you longer. Again, just like any of the analogies we've been using, if I if you're trying to learn how to play the guitar, and you have a, a, a teacher, you're going to learn faster and be better in a shorter amount of time. If you're watching YouTube videos and figuring it out on your own, you might get there, you might be good, and you might learn how to play the guitar, but it's definitely going to take you longer when you're on your own. So I think that's the big question, Kirk, is how, what's the timetable here for your company? Are you trying to do this and get the company going quickly, or do you have the, the uh, 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 option to you know, take your time and get this implemented over, over a longer period of time. All right, Eric, last but not least, Reagan from Seattle wants to know, I've been thinking about your six pillars a lot recently and wonder if you think any of them are more critical to success than others. If we're weak in one or two, how big an impact is this going to be uh, to our overall efforts? It's going to be pretty impactful, right? So if I had to lean into any, any of those six pieces of the pie, it would be process, right? Because I mean, I had a great weekly revenue team meeting with a client yesterday, and they have a long list of issues. I mean, 21 of them were on the list when we started the meeting. And we went through, we ranked the 21, three of them ranked a five out of five, the rest of them were four, three, two, they could be for next week or the week after. And then we spent one hour IDSing, right? Uh, uh, identifying, discussing, and solving their three biggest issues. Spent 55 minutes on that. And we broke open all sorts of things that they A, didn't have the time to talk about or weren't aware that they could do little things to fix some of the things that were going on. This was a really great interactive meeting. The team scored it an 8.5 out of 10 overall because of the just general productivity. So process to me, even if you don't have the killer strategy, you still have stuff to do every single week and things that are in your way to getting to be successful. So process is the one I would lean into. Now, when it comes to, do you need all uh, pieces of the pie to be active? Yes, you actually do, but it's an ongoing journey. 
It's not like that everything is great right out of the gate or everything's bad right out of the gate. Maybe you're not, your strategy isn't strong, but you're still executing good campaigns and you have a good internal team from your resources slice of the pie. So now, you know, let's focus on the strategy for the next couple of months so that we can bring that up. And what you want to be doing, and remember from our last episode, we offered a free link to the um, uh, six-minute health survey so you can see where you are strong in, 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 as an overall grade for your company. Uh, 85% proficiency or better on all six of those pieces of pie is the goal. So, you know, you could be 85 on two of them and 75 on another two, but 45 on the other two. Great. At least it identifies. Let's work on the 45 and bring that up. It is an ongoing, never-ending battle to be really proficient in all six pieces of the pie. But for companies that are 85% proficient in all six pieces of the pie, they're killing it when it comes to driving revenue for their company. So up to you. How much effort do you want to put forth in order to be proficient in all six pieces of the pie? Awesome. Great, great answer. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening next week. Uh, if you've been following along, we've covered process and strategy of the six uh, elements of a revenue generation system. Next week, we're going to talk about the marketing tactics, which I kind of teased a little bit during the show today, which ones to pick, why, how to pick them, you know, how to uh, come up with a good collection of well-organized uh, tactics is also going to be critical to driving revenue. So we'll cover that next week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Just a reminder, you can catch the show on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing Channel. All of the What's Wrong with Revenue episodes are posted there Thursday morning. Like us, subscribe to us, leave us comments. We really appreciate all everyone who follows us on YouTube. You can check out the show on square2marketing.com's free streaming service, Square2 Plus, located at square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. All of the What's Wrong with Revenue episodes are posted there. We have a special channel for What's Wrong with Revenue. And you can also check out all of our other audio and video content right there on Square2 Plus. The show has its own dedicated page at the bottom of our website, What's Wrong With Revenue. You can subscribe to the show. We'll email you shows every Thursday morning. We'll also let you know what upcoming episodes are, the topics are, and what we're going to talk about. And you can also submit questions on that page, like we got today from the three folks out on the West Coast. Um, last but not least, check out the show on all your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple. You can uh, download and listen to all of our shows in podcast format. Eric? Thanks so much for being on the show today. Love hanging out and talking revenue. I'll talk all day about it. See you later. Bye-bye.